sometimes things that seem simple turn out to be difficult when you try to explain them. Uh, one of the most commonly used words in the English language is the word the. Everybody knows what the word the means, right? Can anybody give me a definition of the word the? That's a little more difficult, isn't it? Right? What about a definition for the word a? Right? Like it's a tree. Can you define the word a? It's a very simple word, a very small word, right? Just one letter, but defining it is difficult. Sometimes our kids ask us questions that seem like they're really simple until you try to give them an answer, like the classic question of why is the sky blue? I mean, you've been seeing it every day for all your life, Dad. I mean, surely you can explain to me why it's blue. Uh, for all those things, there's an answer out there, but they don't exactly roll off the tongue. It's not always easy to answer what seems like a simple question. In the same way, faith seems like something simple. We know that all Christians have faith, right? By definition, if you're a Christian, you believe in Christ, you have faith. Faith is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian, and yet it's not easy to explain or to define. We all know that we're saved through faith and not through our works. We even talk about having faith like a child. And so it might seem like a pretty simple thing, but what is it? How do you define faith? Does faith mean never having any doubts or any questions? If you really believe, right, is it always easy to believe? Does having faith mean uh, closing your eyes to the facts and just being optimistic and hopeful? Where does faith rest? How does it grow? What stands in its way? And how does it overcome those things? Those are really, really important questions. And they're not all easy questions. But they're questions that Paul answers for us in Romans chapter 4. So I invite you to turn your Bible there if you haven't already to Romans 4. And most of you know that as we've been working our way through the book of Romans, Paul has been focusing on chap in chapter 3 and chapter 4 about uh, focusing on how we are justified or made righteous and, and our sins forgiven, how we are justified by faith in Christ. And he, lately he has been emphasizing that uh, in this we follow Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham uh, trusted God before he did any important works like get circumcised or offer up Isaac. He was saved by faith and not by his works. Right? We've been told that God um, promised to make Abraham the heir of the world, and that all who believe like Abraham will inherit those promises as well. But so far, Paul has not told us anything about what this faith is, what it looks like, how it works. If the key element right, of being justified like Abraham and inheriting the promises that Abraham inherited is having faith like Abraham then we need to know what that faith is like, how it works, so we can see if we have it, so we can know what is expected of us. 
And so in the last section of this chapter, uh, Paul explains and demonstrates to us what Abraham's faith was like. So I'm going to start reading in verse 17 and read to the end of the chapter and be looking as I read for the things that Paul says about Abraham's faith. So Paul has just said at the end of verse 16 that Abraham is the father of us all. And then verse 17 he says, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So here's what we're going to see in this text. We're going to see the obstacles to Abraham's faith. We're going to see the reasons for Abraham's faith. We're going to see the nature of Abraham's faith. And then we're going to see how our faith relates to our justification, to our salvation. So first we want to notice the obstacles to Abraham's faith. If you're familiar with the story of Abraham... Uh, you know that that story is really driven by two things. It's driven by the promises God made to Abraham. I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm going to give you lots of offspring. I'm going to bless you and bless all the nations of the earth through you. It's driven by those promises, but it's also driven by all the obstacles to those promises, some that were already there, some that Abraham created himself. Right? And those obstacles to Abraham's Uh, to those promises that God made, that's what drives the story. And here in this text, Paul is focusing in particular on the promise of offspring, the promise that Abraham would have children as numerous as the stars in the heaven, as numerous as the sand on the seashore, and um, that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. That's the promise that Paul is focusing on, and that really is the promise that seemed most difficult for Abraham uh, to believe in the story. So that's why in verse 18, Paul says, in hope he believed against hope. Now what does that mean? That's a, that's a strange phrase, right? I think what it means is that, humanly speaking, Abraham had absolutely no reason for hope. He had no reason to hope that God would fulfill the things that he had promised, humanly speaking. There was no indication, naturally, that what God said was going to happen was actually going to happen. And yet, against that hopelessness, really, Abraham had hope 
anyway because he believed in God's promises. So what was it that made him have to hope against hope? How, how, what made him have to believe against hope? Well, first of all, Abraham, at the time these promises were made, did not have even one child. And it's one thing to say to a newly married couple, you know, I think in a few years y'all are going to have lots of children running around the yard and you're just going to have this great abundant family. I mean, yeah, maybe. We don't know. You know, there's all kinds of possibilities. But when God promises Abraham and Sarah that they're going to have numerous offspring, they're already well up in their years and they've not had a single child. Not even a start at having numerous offspring. Not only that, but Paul tells us in verse 19 that Abraham was a dead man walking. Right? Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. In other words, there was no natural prospect of Abraham having any children. He was long past those years. Right? He was an old man and... Uh, you know, didn't, there was not many years left for him, it looked like. Right, so there's no reason to think that Abraham's going to have a child. He, he and Sarah have not yet had a child. And not only is Abraham as good as dead, but verse 19 also says that uh, Sarah's womb was dead. Right? It talks about the barrenness of Sarah's womb there at the end of verse 19. If you have a, an ESV, I know for sure, and, and maybe some other translations as well, there might be a, a note there that says literally what Paul is talking about. He doesn't use the word barrenness. He uses the word deadness, emphasizing that there's no chance, again, humanly speaking, there's no chance of any life coming from Sarah's womb. Her womb is dead. Her husband is as good as dead. They have no children. Humanly speaking, there is no reason for them to have any hope, any faith, any confidence that they are ever going to have any children. Everything that Abraham could see was against him. Everything. Everything that he could see. Everything that he had you know, tangible evidence for was against him believing the promises of, of God. But Hebrews 11 says that faith is the conviction of things not seen. There was plenty of things he could see that gave him reasons not to believe, but it was things he could not see that were the reasons why he did believe. So what were the reasons for Abraham's faith? Why did Abraham believe that God was going to fulfill this promise? He had lots of reasons not to believe. Right? Lots of evidence that was against him. What were the reasons for Abraham's faith? Right? Well, the first one is pretty simple. It's in verse 17, and it's also in verse, uh, it's in, uh, in verse 18 as well, that God had promised this. God had promised him, I have made you the father of many nations. Verse 17 says at the end of verse 18, uh, it says he had been told, so shall your offspring be. That's from Genesis 15 where God said, look at the stars and count them if you can. So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed that he and Sarah would have these numerous offspring because God said they would. Because God promised. And not only that, verse 21 
says that Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So not only had he heard the promise of God, so shall your offspring be, but he also was fully convinced, totally persuaded, that God was able to do what he said, that God was able to give him numerous offspring. Now what kinds of things would Abraham have to believe about God in order to believe that he could give a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old barren woman an abundance of offspring? What kind of things would he have to believe? Probably the things that Paul mentions uh, in verse 17. Right? He talks about the God in whom he believed, and then he says two things about that God, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. I'm as good as dead, my wife's womb is dead, but the God who has promised us children is a God who can give life to the dead. He can give me life so that I can help produce life. He can cause my wife's dead womb to live and to bring life into this world. He can bring the dead to life. And not only that, he can call into existence things that do not exist. Maybe Abraham, likely Abraham, had heard the story of creation. How did God bring the world into existence? It didn't exist. He called it into existence. He spoke it into existence. And when he said, let there be light, there was light. So if God says, so shall your offspring be... It's as good as done, as far as God is concerned. God is able to speak things into existence. He's able to bring life where there is death. And Abraham was persuaded of these things, or things like this, so he knew that God was able to do what he promised. The, the, the reasons for his faith right, were his convictions about what God had said, and about who God is. So, this helps us think about the the nature of faith, right? This clarifies some misunderstandings people have about faith, because often people characterize faith as a sort of leap in the dark, right? Or or maybe even just some, uh, you know, native optimism, right? Abraham is not commended for saying, you know what, I know I'm old, I know you're barren, but I just got this feeling that we're going to have lots of children anyway. You know, I'm just an optimist at heart, I'm just hopeful, you know, and I feel like if we just have positive feelings and we're just optimistic, it's, it's going to be alright. That's not faith. That might not, you know, that might be a bad thing or it might not be a bad thing, right? It might be, you know, you might call it optimism or you might call it delusion. You know, it just depends on where you're coming from. But that's not faith. Abraham is commended because he said, you know, I know I'm as good as dead. I know my wife's womb is dead. She is barren. But I also know that God has said he's going to give us offspring. And I know he can do it. That's why I'm convinced it's going to happen. I'm not just being optimistic. I'm not just denying all the facts around me. 
I'm not simply ignoring the circumstances. I'm looking beyond those things to something that in some sense is even more true, which is that the God who created these circumstances, who created me, who created my wife, who called us into this situation, this God who spoke all this into existence has spoken and said, so shall your offspring be. So I believe it. I'm convinced. I'm confident. So faith is not something we have in the absence of reasons. Faith is not something we have simply contrary to the facts. Faith is something we have in reasons and facts, we could even say, that go beyond what some people see. Somebody who doesn't have faith, somebody who doesn't believe in God, somebody that doesn't believe that there's a God who made everything, who spoke everything into existence, who raised Jesus from the dead, who is at work in the world, somebody who doesn't believe that would look at Abraham and Sarah and say, you're crazy. You're crazy to think that you're going to have children. And Abraham and Sarah would say, if this is all there is, you're right, we are crazy. But we are convinced We have evidence that there is a God. He's spoken to us. He created this world. He has promised this to us. And we are convinced that he is able to do what he's promised. So faith is not a leap in the dark. It's not just, well, let's just believe it's going to happen and maybe it will. Faith rests on the word of God and the character of God. Faith rests on the existence of God. I believe He's there, I believe He's spoken, and I believe He will do what He has said. We have reasons to believe. Our faith is built on reason. It's not contrary to reason. It's based on evidence, and yet it does have to take that extra step of saying, I know I haven't seen this happen yet. I can't prove to you that God exists I can't prove to you that the scriptures are the word of God. But I'm convinced that they are. I'm convinced that he is. And so I'm convinced that he will do what he has said. So Abraham believed these promises in hope against hope because God had spoken, because God exists, because God is able But the way Paul describes Abraham's faith makes it sound like this was really easy for him. Uh, Just sort of a surface reading of these verses makes makes it sound like Abraham never struggled to believe. And if that's true, that's a problem. Because I don't know anybody in this room who would claim to have a faith that's never struggled. Have a faith that's never been plagued by questions or by doubts. So if Abraham's faith was flawless, it's going to be really tough to follow in his footsteps. But that's not what Paul says. Now let's notice what he does say, and then what he doesn't say. First thing he says about the nature of Abraham's faith is that it was a faith that was not weakened by the facts that stood against him. Verse 19, right? He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So there were things in his life that you would think would weaken his faith, but they didn't. 
He believed in spite of those things. I believe in spite of my old age. I believe in spite of my wife's barrenness. I believe in spite of those things that God is going to do what He's promised. So he, his faith was strong despite the fact that there were things that you would think would detract from that faith. He also says that Abraham uh, did not, uh, was not characterized by unbelief, right? Verse 20. He says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith. Right? So his, room had faith, or his faith had room to grow. Right? It wasn't perfect. It wasn't flawless. His faith had room to grow. But he was not characterized by unbelief or a lack of faith. Right? Instead, he was characterized by faith. Now, when you read that, no unbelief, right? Not weakened in faith. Think, man, could somebody say that about me? You know, aren't there occasions where my faith is, does feel weak, does feel small? Um, are, are there times when I doubt, when I have questions? Paul is not saying that Abraham never had questions that Abraham never had doubts, that he never struggled to believe. He said he was never characterized by unbelief, so he never like packed up and said, you know what, let's go back to Ur. I don't think God's going to give us the land. I don't think God's going to give us any children. I think it was all a dream, a wish, a hope, and it's, you know, it's nothing. I don't, even, I don't believe that stuff anymore. Let's, let's, he, that never happened. Right? He was, his faith was not overcome by the circumstances that stood against him. And yet he did struggle at times. Right? Um, one excellent Bible teacher uh, says this about what Paul is and isn't saying about Abraham's faith. He said, when Paul says that Abraham did not doubt because of unbelief, he means not that Abraham never had momentary hesitations, but that he avoided a deep-seated and permanent attitude of distrust and inconsistency in relationship to God and His promises. It's not that he never had questions, not that he never struggled, but he was not characterized by unbelief. Another uh, Bible teacher puts it this way. He says, how can Paul make this statement when the Genesis narrative, the Genesis story, obviously includes regressions as well as advances in Abraham's faith? The answer is that Paul is not trying to chronicle in detail the ups and downs of faith in the life of Abraham. The words he did not doubt characterize the basic pattern and direction of Abraham's life, which was ultimately typified by trust in God, not by doubt. He didn't waver in the sense that he persevered and persisted in faith. So, he did have his moments, right? The, the clearest one to me is in Genesis 15, right before God makes the promise that you're going to have offspring as numerous as the stars in the heavens. And Paul uh, has quoted this next verse multi, you know, more than once in this passage where Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Right before that, God says to Abraham, Abraham, uh, I'm going to be your, re- your shield and your reward shall be very great. And you know what Abraham says? What are you going to give me that's so great? Because you know what I don't have? I don't even have an heir. I don't have one child. 
whatever you give me, as it stands right now, it's going to pass to this guy in my house, Eliezer of Damascus. He's not even my son. That's the best I can do for an heir. So what reward are you going to give me that is so great? And that's when God said to him, look up at the stars, count them if you can, your offspring are going to be as numerous as the stars. And Abraham believed. And then God said, I'm going to give them the land. And he said, well, how do I know you're going to do that? And so then he made a covenant with Abraham. So Abraham had questions. Abraham had doubts. Abraham had certain things he struggled at times to believe. And yet, he always came around to believing. Right? It's kind of like David. right? We call David a man after God's own heart. And then we read the story of David and think, Ooh, there were some moments <laughs> that I wouldn't characterize him as a man after God's own heart. So what makes David a man after God's own heart? That he's always seeking the Lord, except when he's not. And when he's not, he always repents and turns back. Abraham's a man of faith. He always ended up trusting God. Even when he doubted, even when he struggled, even when he had questions, he always landed in a place of faith. That's what real biblical faith looks like. It doesn't mean you never have questions. It doesn't mean you never struggle. It doesn't mean you never have doubts. It doesn't mean you never have a moment where you go, do I know that Jesus was raised from the dead? I mean, how how do I prove that? How do I know that? That question coming up in your mind doesn't mean you don't have faith. The question is, where do you land after you ask that question? Do you land in a position of faith, or do you go, you know what, never mind, I don't believe the whole thing. Just forget it. Abraham struggled. Abraham asked questions. Nothing wrong with that. But he always ended up believing. And Paul said, says in verse 22, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Because he had a faith that persevered. He had a faith that grew strong as he trusted in the Lord. He had a faith that overcame obstacles. He had a faith that rested not ultimately in his circumstances or what he expected to happen naturally or humanly speaking. He had a faith that rested in God who was he was convinced was able to do what he had promised. Now, how does all that connect to us? Right? Probably, even as we're talking about those things, you're thinking about your own faith, your own struggles, your own triumphs, moments where you wrestled with hard questions, moments where you felt like nobody would expect me to have faith and confidence in this situation, and yet I do, and I don't know how to explain it. I've been praying for this person for 20 years. I have no... Um, no sign that anything is changing, that anything is happening, and yet I remain convinced that if God wants to, He is able to draw this person to Himself. I, I just believe He can. Right? How does all this connect to us? That's what verse 23 and 24 and 25 are about. He says in verse 23, the words it was counted to Him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It was not only so that we would know that Abraham believed and was counted righteous, but also so that we would know how we can be counted righteous, which is if we trust God like Abraham did. Right, Middle of verse 24, It will be counted to us who believe in him 
who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's a summary of the gospel. If you believe that God sent His Son to die on the cross, to suffer the penalty for our sin, that He raised Him from the dead so that we could be saved, if you believe that, if you trust in Him, then God says you are justified just like Abraham. Well, but Abraham didn't know all that. No, he didn't know all that, but he was looking forward to that just like we look back to that. Abraham looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. That's what the promises God made to him were for. Ultimately, was to bring Jesus into the world as the ultimate offspring who would bring, bring blessing to all the nations of the earth. He was look, trusting in promises about the future coming of the Messiah. We are trusting in how God has already fulfilled those promises in the past through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so if you turn from your sin and you trust in Jesus, then just like Abraham, God counts you righteous. He forgives you of your sin and you are brought into fellowship with God. You don't have to have perfect faith. Abraham didn't have perfect faith. But you do need persevering faith. You do need faith that looks beyond your immediate circumstances and trusts that God is able to do what he promised even when it doesn't look like there's any way that's going to happen. And nobody has put this together better than I I have found than uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a fantastic preacher, one of the the greatest preachers of the 20th century. And I want to close with how he puts together Abraham's faith and our faith and applies uh, this teaching about Abraham believing despite his circumstances and applies that to us. Here's what he says. The Christian is a man who, like Abraham of old, believes the word of God despite everything he knows to be true about himself. What is justifying faith? It is the faith that believes what God says in Christ in spite of all I know about myself, my past sins, my present sinfulness. The Christian is a man who says, yes, alas, it is true. I have been vile and horrible and a desperate sinner, yet I believe I stand righteous in the presence of Christ. Like Abraham, you must never look at yourself again and at all that is so true of you. You are justified in spite of all that. It is what God has done in Christ. Look to that. Rest on that. Be confident in that. Hold up your head with boldness. Not boldness in yourself, but in your mediator, in your great high priest, in the one whom God raised from the dead in order to let you know that your sins were dealt with at the cross once and forever and that he looks upon you as his dear child. Let's pray.